seat. We're about to start. We want to thank you all for joining us and welcome. My name is Annie. I'm Annie Zhu from Capital Link. Nicholas Bernosis, the, cap, the president of Capital Link, sends his regards. Unfortunately, he's not feeling well, so he won't be joining us today. It's great to see everyone back in person. We want to thank all of our sponsors and partners for their continued support and contribution in helping us deliver a high quality event year after year. And we also want to thank the Closing Funds Association for their continued partnership. And now I will kick it off to Mariana to start the panel on Closing Funds, on, on the first panel on um, the Closing Fund Industry Roundtable. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Um, and first of all, before I ask the, our panelists to introduce themselves, um, I wanted to thank Capital Link uh, very, very much for um, kind of pandemic or no pandemic, just keeping with this close and fund and uh, an ETF forum. Um, you may uh, remember that the last in-person forum was in spring of 2019, and last year it was their 20th anniversary. So uh, I'm not going to ask everybody to sing happy birthday, um, <laughs> but thank you uh, very much to everyone in Capital Inc and uh, congratulations for uh, keeping us together, bringing us together, um, so that we have uh, very interesting and fascinating conversations. Um, and with that, um, how about Bob, why don't we start with your, I have a, an incredible um, panel here uh, with people who truly know their close and funds, and as we were preparing, it was just so fun just uh, talking with them. So uh, we're gonna try to recreate that um, prep call that we had for you. Bob, why don't you start telling us about briefly who you are, who you're with. Sure, my name is Bob Bush. I'm a Senior Vice President, Director of Closed End Fund Product at Calamos Investments. Doug, uh, Doug Bond, uh, Portfolio Manager uh, at Conan Steers, uh, working along with my colleague, uh, Brandon Odenath, who's uh, here, uh, managing a closed end fund of funds and a couple institutional accounts. and. Before I got to Conan Steers, I spent a few years at Merrill Lynch, uh, um, in, involved in a bunch of the closed-end fund IPOs, and ran into this guy and Mariana and a bunch of other people in here. Thanks. That's great. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt Nealon. I head up closed-end fund business development at Nuveen. Um, have been with Nuveen since 2015, and over that period, uh, have been in the, uh, involved in the completion of about 13 IPOs. Uh, so currently responsible for the origination and syndication of new closed-end funds, but also oversee the team of product specialists that we have that support you know, the 56 closed-end funds we currently have in, in the secondary market. Great. Thank you. Um, we have planned for you um, three big topics, three very important topics for closed-end funds. Um, and that is going to be, Matt talked about IPOs, so we're going to start with IPOs. Um, we're certainly going to talk about leverage, which uh, has become very important uh, this year. Um, and we're going to, of course, talk about premiums and discounts as well. So those are the three kind of um, high-level topics that we will um, touch upon. 
And um, with that, Matt, can you give us kind of a, a quick recount on the um, IPO market? Well, I, I wish we had more information to share on the 2022 IPO market, but you know, I think maybe to, to kick things off, you know, we should recognize that 2021, it was a banner year for the closing fund industry, you know, roughly 17 billion in capital raised across 12 IPOs. Uh, so terrific year for the marketplace. You know, obviously this year with the market volatility um, and the challenges we're seeing, you know, only three IPOs to date, uh, roughly 1.5 billion in capital raised. So certainly a different environment uh, in terms of new products coming to market. Uh, but that being said, you know, one of the topics we wanted to discuss today as well with the IPO market, I'm sure you know, future or upcoming um, panelists will, will dive on this in, in greater detail. But the structure has really evolved you know, significantly over the years. And, and we think that's really led to a resurgence and an interest in the IPO market over the past few years. So you know, for instance, one of the um, the funds that we actually celebrated earlier this year at Nuveen was NUV. It was our first closed-end fund that came to market in 1987. Uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol uh, NUV, it, it continues to trade on the exchange today, and the fund has paid over 3.6 billion in distribution payments to shareholders. So I think you know that's a terrific story of you know the benefits of the closed-end fund structure. We know they're designed for income-oriented investors. But there's also been a number of enhancements since that first IPO, mainly on how you know, closed-end funds are accessed today at the entry point, but also at the exit point. So a couple of those features you know, that we wanted to you know, quickly highlight here at the onset of this panel uh, was the upfront charge. So you know, going back to NUV, came out at a $10 IPO price. The initial net asset value was 935, which meant you know, the, the investor paid a 6.5% sales load on that fund. Uh, clearly, that's no longer the case today. Sponsor firms like Nuveen, uh, Calamos, Conan Steers, you know, and others are now picking up the tab on all those upfront offering expenses, which we've continued to see you know, a resurgence of interest in advisors now looking to the IPO market for differentiated new strategies uh, in the primary. Um, on, on the back end of closed-end funds, we know historically they're, they're mainly perpetual vehicles in nature. But a couple enhancements uh, to the term structure. You know, we've seen target term funds you know, certainly resonate in the market from 2015 to 2018, uh, and also the limited term structure and the more recently launched products, you know, 12 and 15 year terms, now give investors that you know, liquidity event at NAV if they have the time horizon to, to go that far out. So a couple enhancements that we've seen, we think you know, hopefully over the coming months, uh, there might be an opportunity for you know, the IPO market to to get back to where it was, um, but certainly you know, the, the activity we saw last year is we haven't seen that you know, just yet, um, given the volatility in the market today. Great, thanks. And sometimes it's the the best time to invest in an asset class is the the time when the IPOs raise the least. Certainly. Um, yeah. So, um, Bob, you want to add some um, color in the IPO? Well, sure. I mean, I. It, Clearly, the, the, these enhancements, which were really a discussion between the issuers and the underwriters, because the, the IPO market was, was, was more abundant. We were, we were running into an issue where the, the funds would come out. Once they left syndicate protection after 45 days, the stocks would trade off because the NAV had been nicked. And um, they, the NAV had not enough time to recover um, to get back to the IPO. So they had this discount right off the onset, and it just it left a bad taste in the investor's mouth. So, 
Um, I think it was the right thing to do. We've, we've been in this business a long time. There's always been discussions about how you can make the product more user-friendly from the onset to keep the investor involved. So basically picking up the load, giving them the fund really free of charge with the NAV and the stock price were the same. It gave the fund a fighting chance to come out once syndicate protection broke to have the NAV trade up, have the distribution declared 45 days out roughly. And so there's confidence that the fund's going to earn its distribution. That would arguably propel the stock price. And then you have a price that could actually be up off of the IPO price and NAV that's actually up. And the investor's feeling good about it. And by the way, they, they really didn't pay any load on this. So it's all, it, it's all good. One thing that I will add about the dynamic right now in the closed-end fund market, and this is not unusual, given that you know, we've all seen this, is that rising interest rates environment, most of these funds lever. They lever on the short end, they reinvest on the long end. Okay? The short end of the curve goes up, leverage becomes more expensive. Leverage becomes more expensive. Does that inhibit the fund from being able to maintain its distribution level now, or is it inhibited from the fund being able to be, can, can maintain the distribution going forward? So a lot of distributions have been altered over the course of the last two years. I think it was 20% of them were cut in 2021. A lot of the new funds that came out in 2021 either cut their distribution rates or had large returns of capital. And that has put sort of a pale on the market. Oftentimes, funds will trade down with the expectation and anticipation that there may be a distribution cut. Because bear in mind, the buyer of these funds typically are folks who are, tend to be a little bit older. Um, they're looking for income, and that's important to them. So I think what we're seeing right now in the closed-end fund market with the way the pricing is, is really not unusual when you go back in time and look at uh, bad times in the bond market. And I'll also say this, oftentimes the market does not distinguish between equity funds and fixed income funds and the impact uh, a rising interest rate environment will have on uh, these portfolios. Although we try to educate the market, oftentimes they get painted with the same brush. Doug, you, like uh, Bob, were also a banker in your prior life, um, so you have different perspectives. Any, what are your thoughts on? Well, uh, the IPO market has always been kind of cyclical, uh, and so uh, the windows open. Uh, usually the windows open when uh, funds in aggregate are trading at more full valuation, so it's easier to launch a new deal if the average fund is selling at a 2% discount or it's selling close to NAV, uh, which was the case in actually in 2021, discounts were fairly tight. So it created an environment where uh, a new fund at NAV looked like a pretty reasonable value uh, relative to everything in the secondary market. And then when there's a wind in the, in the face of the capital markets in terms of uh, when the Fed is tightening, uh, that raises borrowing costs. If you go back and you can kind of chart uh, the Fed funds rate and the level of overall closed-end fund discounts, go back, you know, with the uh, Morningstar data, Bloomberg data, uh, you know, and do the numbers, there is a very uh, uh, nice relationship between the level of the Fed funds rate and the average discount for closed-end funds. When, uh, when, you know, when the Fed funds rate is rising, the discounts generally rising. When the Fed funds rates falling, the discounts generally coming in. So, this is a this is a movie uh, that we've uh, seen play out before. And uh, yeah, listen, the first IPO I ever worked on was the Liberty All Star Equity Fund in 1986. <laughs> it had a bigger 
upfront sales load than what you know Matt was referring to and talking about NUV. Now this fund came with a 7% sales load and when the fund was completed it was a $500 million offering and people were giving each other high fives and it was a successful offering at $10 a share, $9.30 initial NAV. Well, fast forward 15 months, it was done in October of 86, fast forward, you know, not four, 12, 14 months, the stock market crash in 1987, nobody's high fiving. The fund's selling at a 20% discount to NAV and you can buy all you want at $6 a share. So now, you know, now fast forward to today and it's a, it's a long, term, uh, long time later, but even with the, the drawdown that we've seen in the markets this year, that fund's delivered like 8.8% compounded since inception. So um, uh, the first closed end fund that ever came to market was like uh, in like 1858. It still trades in London. Uh, you can buy it and like, uh, I don't know, I think something like a $100 investment in that fund that, you know, is worth like six million bucks today or something like that. But, you know, obviously nobody lives for like 162 <laughs> years, but, but um, hopefully some, uh, some, some family members were the beneficiaries of some of those shares being uh, sort of uh, given uh, to the offspring. But uh, we're in a market environment today that uh, is extremely tough for anybody who bought something new last year, um, but it does sort of remind me of the whole old, old adage of like, it's not, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market where most of the money gets made. So mm -hmm. I, think that, I think that's especially true with closed-end funds. Yeah, very, very true. Um, Matt, you were telling us about some insights on the the audience of, of closed-end funds yes. or the participants of closed-end funds. Can you shed some light? Expand on that? Sure. So um, in, in our experience at Nuveen, we've done now four uh, closed-end funds under this revamped structure, right? The revamped 2.0 pricing structure. And from our experience, uh, every time we come out with a, a new IPO, Time and time again, we've been expanding the audience and the number of advisors participating. Now, we've moved on from certain uh, asset classes and have expanded that audience, but uh, the number of advisors participating today is significantly higher than what we saw just five to seven years ago. So we think, you know, hopefully that'll be a trend that, you know, that, that comes as a benefit, uh, but also in times like this, if you're a first-time IPO buyer, as you can imagine, this might be your first downturn in the market holding the vehicle. So that could be accelerating you know, the market price declines that we're seeing today. Um, but if you're taking a longer term view, as Doug mentioned, you know, we think that'll, that'll work itself out over time. And that's in spite of COVID, right? That's in spite of COVID. That's exactly right, right? Because a lot of these funds, you know, when we were doing roadshows prior to COVID, you're in offices, you're, you're doing lunch meetings. Uh, as you can appreciate the last few years, that, that wasn't really happening, right? So you know, all of our meetings were, were purely virtual. Uh, so it, it, Maybe that was a beneficiary we were able to extend you know, our footprint in terms of advisors we were able to get in front of. And I think that's also helped the closed-end fund industry create more education around the structure, talk about what's changed. And, and you'll still run into many advisory teams today that are unfamiliar that the sales load is covered you know, on IPOs today. Um, it still happens despite you know, the past three years that's, that's been the case mm -hmm. on all the transactions. 
Matt, you mentioned that some of these um, calls were virtual. Uh, Bob, you've been telling me a little bit also about kind of the, uh, the new way of marketing a, an IPO. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, the dynamic post-COVID um, really changed the world is, in many things, but certainly in the issuance of IPOs for closed-end funds. In, in, the, in, the, in, in the old day, when you actually went and got on a plane and went to Chicago and you had maybe two or three, four meetings a day, um, with, in big offices, the relationship would be through the, uh, the branch manager. Um, then you go in the office and you have the meal and so on and do the, do the show. Um, that obviously went out the door, but the new wave, um, and Matt, you've done a number of these, so I'd be interested in your thoughts as well, is that the reach out now is really with the individual broker level, all right? Not so much through the branch, but through the individual broker uh, and his team or her team or um, other maybe affiliates. Um, You'd go back and look and see who owns your closed-end funds, what their experience has been. Um, it's really on a one-by-one on one basis. So the downside is you're not getting big audiences like you would in a physical meeting, but rather than do maybe three or four meetings a day, you can do a, ha a dozen if you'd like. And you can call Chicago at 8 o'clock. You can call New York at 8.30. You can call Boston at 9. So the dynamic has changed, and if you look at the size of the deals that were done in 2020 and 2021, we were still pretty much in a lockdown. Although it's a different world in the way it's been marketed, certainly didn't cut into the sizes of the deals that were getting done, and certainly the penetration um, within these different wirehouses that participated in. So how that evolves now, hopefully that we get out of the, the COVID world, I don't know. You know, is it gonna be part physical? Is it gonna be part um, virtual? Hard to say. Um, but, you know, we certainly did some big deals during 2020 and 2021. Yeah, just to expand on that, I would say the portfolio teams have been much more accessible mm -hmm. during this time period, too. Because uh, as Bob was mentioning, you know, we would have select you know, investor meetings in larger cities, New York, Chicago, L.A. They might only be able to do, you know, four or five meetings in a given day. Today, in the virtual environment, they can now expand that footprint um, and, and now, you know, speak with advisors throughout the country but then also you're getting more individualized one-on-one -on -one calls as well, right? So we've been, I think in, in early uh, 2020, we were still figuring out this, this Zoom and, and WebEx environment and trying to get folks on the line. Today, I think it's, it's much more efficient, um, you know, lining up those investor calls and trying to get, you know, the, the portfolio teams and our specialists out in, front of, um, out in front of advisors and investors to tell the pitch. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that higher quality communication with the user of a closed-end fund will make it easier than what I remember 94 was, because before 94, 92, 93, there were a lot of closed-end fund IPOs as well. Very interest rate sen sensitive, preferreds, munis. But then 94 came along, and it was the first time that the closed-end fund investors actually experienced the downside of leverage. <laughs> And so that was a huge surprise, and I think we lost a lot of closed-end fund users because they it caught them by surprise. Like, oh, what do you mean? And I remember clearly uh, people asking me, why is this insured muni fund down so much? And it had nothing to do with credit quality. It was all interest rate risk on top of leverage. Um, so hopefully this higher quality um, touch point um, with the PMs, kind of more education, will prevent from closed-end fund investors, or investors using closed-end funds for the first time, perhaps, from just saying, oh, forget it, I'm not gonna touch it anymore. Um, right. So hopefully that will be it does, a good start. I'm just gonna make a, uh, well, doesn't look like it. So, just to challenge you a little bit, it, 
But I'm just saying, so far it doesn't look like to us in looking at the way that the funds are trading that the people who are new to the closed end fund uh, uh, through the IPOs of you know 19, uh, 19, 20, and 21 haven't fleed the structure because the, the 2.0 funds are trading cheaper than the broad universe of closed end funds. So I'm just gonna, I'm just being a little bit of a, I told you I had this giant size ladle and if the panel's a little bit too comfortable up here, I'm gonna stir it up. I'm glad you did, um, and that's a fair point, and I think there will be some closed-end fund investors lost, that, that they say, not again. Um, having said that, I'm also very aware of the fact that closed-end funds are not that liquid, and you just need a little bit of selling pressure, and the discounts widen quickly. Um, so we'll see, but I, I, I don't disagree with, there'll be some. And, and maybe just to expand there, um, you know, we talked about maybe a, a newer, first-time IPO buyer might be more cut and run as it comes to a downturn, and, and a more seasoned or experienced closing fund investor would be willing to hold on during longer periods of time. Uh, one of the things we've been trying to do is expand the commentaries and, and just put out more information to investors, and I think a lot of the fund sponsors that have come to market these last few years have been doing that. It seems like it's now the common practice where you know, if you're you know, 30, 60 days post-IPO, you get a PM on a conference call to talk about the initial portfolio invest up, right? Because there's not a lot of information as the team is, is working on that, so to get that out there. And then even, you know, six, nine months down the line, we've seen a number of fund sponsors do performance reviews, trying to talk about how they're positioning portfolios. So, you know, we've, you know I think we, as an industry, have definitely taken to the fact that there are many new participants in the market. You got to be there during this time to try to hold their hand as much as possible. I, I, I would I absolutely agree with that. And I would say, I mean, I, one of the most, I've been doing this a long time, one of the most important things about closed end funds, if you're on our side of the table, is the constant education, the constant update, the constant awareness. Because it is, you know, it is a bit of a backwater, okay? Um, it oftentimes is not bought, it's sold, all right? So it's incumbent upon us, the, 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 the the advisor world, if you will, to educate who owns our funds all the time. Because I think so many, there's so many misconceptions about it. Um, it is thinly traded. I think it's misunderstood. The research analysts that are out there are excellent. I just wish there were more of them. Um, that's why forums like this, is, it's important to get the word out. And I would also say this, this sounds self-serving, so I'm gonna run the risk of sounding that way. If you're going to, if you're gonna go out and buy a closed-end fund, all things being equal, Buy one from a company that's going to support it. Buy one from a company that's going to be there. If you have an issue, your broker has an issue, they can pick up the phone, they can call somebody on the other line that's going to be able to be conversant, get them the information, get them on the line with a portfolio manager that's willing to support their fund. Because there are, unfortunately, a lot of them don't do that. Um, and they may be great managers, but they're not oftentimes the best supporting uh, of their product in the market. So I mean, I, I can't say that enough. That's, that's so critical. Yeah. And I would add that make sure for any managers here, make sure that your website is just very clear and not on the, only on the good stuff, but also on the risks. I mean, I still see sometimes websites where the leverage is not clearly stated. It's not obvious. Um, so education, 
work on the website, make sure the website is absolutely the best, the clearest um, that it should be. That, um, and, and ask what are the risks that they should know and, and is that clear on the website, on the, on the fact sheets? That's my suggestion. And I'll, I'll put a plug in as well since Bob did, but um, cefconnect.com is an industry website. It's sponsored by Nuveen, but it's completely impartial. Uh, it's powered by Morningstar data and it houses information on all US listed closed end funds. So it's a very efficient tool to help screen out different managers, asset classes, leverage ratios, distribution rates, Z-scores. So it, it's, it's still uh, something that isn't, isn't widely used by you know, the FA community. So for those joining us virtually today or in the room, we, we think it's a great resource as you're continuing to evaluate you know, your closed end fund holdings in a portfolio. And fully agree. And one more that I'll mention, I see Tim Sullivan here, cifa.com uh, is another right. good source. So um, there are some sources out there. All right, we talked a lot about IPOs. I know other panels uh, may touch upon that, so we'll, we'll leave some, some room for them. Um, and I'm mindful of the time as well. So let's go on to our second topic, leverage. Um, can, um, Bob, can you tell, well actually, yeah, Bob, let, let's go with the taxable funds and leverage on, on the taxable funds. Sure, so most of the, most of the funds that lever, and, and I would say a, a, an ordinary, uh, a, a large part of, of, of the taxable funds do lever, they'll typically do it through um, floating rate. They'll either do it through bank lines, um, some of them may have some floating rate preferred out there, but it's usually driven off of a floating rate um, uh, level, uh, spread over that. Um, that's why the point I made earlier, it's so, it's so incumbent upon, uh, it's such an issue now with floating rates rising that the cost of leverage is going up. Um, so that's just an inherent problem. I mean, obviously, we did, it, was very, it was a great uh, scenario back in 2021 where you had basically leverage was for free at the short level and the equity markets are rising. I mean, that's, that's a perfect scenario. Now we're flipped. Um, there are some funds, such as ours, which have gone out and issued longer-term leverage uh, three, five, seven, ten-year tranches, and we locked in at, at pretty good rates. So, as a supplement to our floating rate, um, so that's you know, as we as we start seeing the floating rates rise, that I think is going to be very, very helpful in keeping our overall leverage rates down. But um, you know, that's just an inherent issue that you have to deal with now. And so, to the point earlier, when you're involved with closed-end funds, certainly make sure that the buyer understands the dynamic of leverage because it's certainly a great ally when markets are strong. When you're getting markets like there are now, it's you know it's going to cut in the NAV uh, participation. Uh, you're going to have NAVs underperform relative to general markets, and that unfortunately is going to impact the stock prices as well, and perhaps even the distribution rates. In uh, Matt, on the, uh, on the tax side? tree, on the mini side. Sure. So you know maybe taking a step back, and, and when you look at the closed-end fund universe and, and who the buyers are, it's typically income-oriented uh, investors that are seeking regular distributions, right? At Nuveen, our funds, we view leverage as a strategic allocation, uh, utilizing the fund structure to help enhance that income over longer periods of time, right? So, you know, as Bob mentioned, generally speaking, you know, funds deploy leverage by borrowing at lower short-term interest rates, reinvesting that, those proceeds into longer-term uh, securities that give the fund the potential for higher income in return. Um, that being said, you know, as Bob mentioned, short-term rates have accelerated at a very rapid pace in 2022. So just to put that in the context, you know, SIFMA, which is the Municipal 
reference rate uh, was around five basis points a year ago. Last week, it repriced at 246 basis points. So obviously a significant uh, uptick. That being said, there are certain asset classes um, that are more efficient for utilizing leverage, given whether it's the steepness of the slope or sourcing leverage. Municipals are certainly one of those asset classes that are very efficient. It can take various forms. I know there's a leverage panel. We'll let them, uh, the experts cover that um, and not get bogged down there. But uh, just to give you a, a general sense of where we are today, if you look at the 20-year AAA MMD scale, currently yields about 62 basis points above the two-year AAA MMD. So that's you know, an upward uh, sloping uh, curve there, and, and we think over the long term, you're going to see funds will have the ability to rebook uh, at higher book yields in portfolios. But that takes time, right? Uh, as securities are called, as, uh, as they're matured, as the portfolios turn over, they should be able to take advantage of that through the use of leverage. But given the rapid rate and increases we're seeing, that's having an immediate impact on fund earnings. And as Bob mentioned, a number of funds in Nuveen and industry-wide have been adjusting their distribution rates throughout the year to ensure that those distribution payments are still in line with fund earnings. So you know, it's very, um, it's a heavily, uh, it comes up very heavily in our topics of discussions. We have a number of advisors that call in that want to talk about leverage in particular, uh, where to get information on you know, fund distribution uh, notices, 19A notices, uh, uni balances. So it, it's, it's definitely a topic that comes up quite a bit on the tax-free side of the market as well. The, the problem is right now, and this is, this is stating the obvious, but you know, typically if you have an inflationary environment over time, equities tend to rally with that. And conversely, when bond markets uh, are the other way. Right now, everything's been hammered. So in an asset allocation fund on the taxable side, it's not like you can move out of bonds and move into equities. That's not helping you. There's really nowhere to go. And you know, we can get into that conversation afterwards as to what the issues are that are driving the financial markets these days. But obviously, the inflationary environment that we're in is having an issue on repricing equities. That's the reason that's down. Obviously, bond interest rates are going. That's hurting bonds. So it's sort of an unusual time where everything's getting hit because we've had it so good for so long. Doug, your, your insight, your color on, on leverage. Uh, I think uh, the same, in the same way we were talking about uh, the IPO market is kind of uh, cyclical. I think that, uh, and, and there are, are boom periods followed by sort of relatively, uh, you know, limited issuance periods. Uh, people's perspective on leverage in the capital structure of closed-end funds uh, there's a bit of a love-hate relationship with leverage. Uh, when the cost of borrowing is low, uh, the funds get the maximum level of benefit of higher income coming from the leverage, and uh, people, are, people don't even really think all that much about leverage in the capital structure of the closed-end funds because it's only a, a tailwind to the total return experience. And then you're peri in periods like now, and people say, why did I buy that leverage fund? You know, my, uh, my income's at risk incrementally. My capital is at risk uh, if uh, everything's selling off. And I think, like, in, in the 2022 market environment, uh, the, the only place to hide has been commodities. And there aren't really a lot of closed-end funds that focus on commodities. So. Uh, uh, they're, they're a handful. You can talk to me at the break about that, that handful. 
and hopefully close end fund investors are aware of the additional risks that close end funds have. And, and one of those additional risks is leverage, which um, again can be good and bad in the long term. Hopefully it's a, in most cases it's a, it's a, a positive. But well, as it, you said, it, it, long, it, term, long term, yeah, you have to be long term. The only thing I would say is like one of the things that, uh, uh, that really differentiates the closed end fund structure is the leverage feature. So a lot of people would say like, you know, why own a closed end fund uh, versus a non-levered form of investment? And it's really the, it's the incremental benefit of the higher income and higher total return potential that the structure can bring you. And over time, it's been successful. It has, because, you know, in, no, in a normal environment, you know, you know we have a, a positively flow subbed interest rate curve, you're going to be able to borrow low and invest high. It just works that way. And equities typically will, will perform better than what short-term borrowing rates will. So it works. We're just in this very unusual environment that, candidly, nothing is, nothing is working. But that's sometimes where the most courageous investors right. are the savviest, and that those are the opportunities. Uh, admittedly, for us as analysts, I mean, this is the more exciting time because this is a time, okay, now we can start upgrading. Now we can actually start looking at some of these opportunities as opposed to when they're too expensive. It's like, okay, so what do I upgrade now? <laughs> um, so um, be wise. Um, all right, last topic, uh, premiums and discounts. Um, Doug, I think you wanted to um, talk on premiums and discounts. Um, well, what are uh, your thoughts? What do you see? What What is cheaper? What is um, richer? What has moved? Uh, well, I, I guess my perspective is that um, uh, the higher short-term borrowing costs have uh, uh, been reflected in uh, you know, a small part of the, or a relatively small part of the market making distribution adjustments downward. I think the number was sort of 20 percent uh, um, year to date. Um, but the bigger impact has been in how the fund uh, funds are valued in the market. So last year, taxable and muni funds kind of finished the year trading around NAV, slight premiums to NAV, and this year. They've moved back to discounts that are wide of their long-term 25-year average discounts to NAV. To, to us, that makes a lot of sense. They haven't moved into what we would characterize as the quote-unquote fat pit zone, where you basically hold your nose and you buy them no matter what when the discounts are greater than, greater than uh, 10%. But they're quite close. The thing that surprises me is that equity closed-end funds, on balance, are selling narrow to their long-term average, about 3% discounts to their long-term average. It doesn't mean you can't find funds at 18% discounts and 15% discounts, but across all 165 of them, the average discount is about three, whereas the long-term average is five. Now. This fact makes sense to these guys, but it doesn't make sense to me. So I'd like to get your perspective on, you know, why you think that is. Bob, do you want to go with that? Or we leave it to the last panel to make sure that you stay and you listen to the last panel. 
Bob is going to be moderating. Right. I'll put that in. I mean, one, one I'll throw this out for what it's worth. This is my own theory, so take it for what it's worth. But I think we have had um, a dearth of issuance. Um, a deal hasn't been done since February. There's a deal in the market right now um, that um, is trying to get done. I think the fact that there hasn't been a lot of issuance done this year, um, in many respects, does support the secondary market. Um, how much it's supporting it, hard to say. Um, I will say that, um, in theory, in an inflationary environment, the equity market should hold up better than the bond market, so those stock funds should do better than the bond funds. But again, this year's been in a, sort of an anathema. Um, it, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard question to answer, but again, I think because there hasn't been a lot of new issuance out there, if folks are looking for closed-end funds, they've got to buy in the secondary, because yeah. they're just not, there's nothing in the primary. And that may help. It certainly doesn't hurt. And I'll, I'll jump in and expand on the discount equation because we have a number of investors that will call us and say, hey, you know, there are funds trading at these double-digit discounts and blindly you know, would want to jump into them. So before they do that, there's a couple steps we typically will talk them through. right? So I think Doug hit on this perfectly. You want to look at the long-term average of that discount. Just because it's at 10 15% today doesn't mean that's going to narrow to par. right? You want to really appreciate where that's been over a longer period of time. But then secondly, and maybe more importantly, you have to really you know, go in believing in that underlying asset, right? So just because you know, a certain asset class might be at a, a double-digit discount and a double-digit yield, sure, that can look attractive on paper, but you still have to make sure that's in line with your, your objectives that you're trying to achieve. And there's certainly a lot of opportunity out there, um, but there's you know, a lot that has to go into considering you know, when, when you're making those allocations. There's a calculation called a, a Z-score, which basically takes the current price NAV relationship, uh, you're subtracting what the average has been over a period of time that you choose, dividing it by the standard deviation of that period of time, whatever that is. And what, to your, to your point, Matt, what it, what it does is it says, what is the, not the absolute relative value of that price, but what's its, what's its relative value? So in other words, if a fund is trading on average at, a, at an 8% discount, and it's trading at a 4% discount right now, on a relative basis, it's not great value, even though from a price basis, it is. So those things should be considered in when you're looking at a, a stock. Uh, on, the, on the flip side, you could have a fund trading at a 3% premium, but on average, it trades at an 8% premium. Well, again, on a relative basis, that Z-score would be negative, which means that it's a positive buy. Uh, that may be something you want to consider. So um, on the CEF Connect That's website, right. I'll give yeah. you I'll give you a boost, a boost there. They actually show, I think, the three, six, nine-month yep. uh, Z-scores. So I think that's a great tool, um, and you may have a different opinion on it, and that's fine, but I think it's a great tool to sort yes. of get a down-and-dirty look and see, you know, is this fund on a relative basis good value or not? And you can even go further out. I, I believe it's one, three, and five-year. We'll expand on um, CEF Connect will show. 52-week averages yep. in terms of their discount level, so it's it's a pretty efficient tool to to help get a gauge and a sense of where it is relative to its mean uh, over over a longer period of time. No, that makes sense. We we look at um, for the premium discount evaluation. We look at current, so the absolute relative 12-month um, average to its own uh, premium discount for the fund, and then relative to the peer group and relative to the entire closed-end fund universe. So it's not just where's the discount right now or the premium right now. Um, so I'm mindful of time. So um, 
Let's uh, see if there's any questions um, out there. We may have, um, yes, Dave, how about, go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. It's, it's an issue. I'm not going to kid you. I mean, we were in the market this year uh, in the spring, and, you know, we ran up against it. We, we, we had to answer questions as to why some of these funds that had done earlier uh, were, having, were struggling. You know, so we're explaining somebody else's product. And they're good products. They're good managers. I'm not going there. But um, it's a challenge. There's no question about it. And, you know, some of those big funds, unfortunately, just didn't trade well. Now, you could say, well, was, was the investments in them, were they more susceptible to the market environment that we're having. In other words, could they not invest some of these privates, um, which, you know, that was sort of the selling point in some of these. Um, longer duration instruments, which aren't going to do well in a rising rate environment. Are, there's, are those more stressed than uh, a short duration muni bond fund or, or a floating rate taxable fund? You could make that argument. So I think the, the problem, David, was that a lot of those big deals that were done were funds that had predecessors that had, were successful, but unfortunately, in the dynamics of the market today, they were poised to be perhaps less successful. So you're right, it was a problem, but that was just the dynamic. And thankfully, we have another panel coming up that can potentially expand on it as well, yeah. so it's a good question. Yeah. And with that, our time is up. Thank you very much. Um, join me in, in thanking the panelists and their comments. Sorry,